Let's read our theme verse again, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. God, we thank you so much that it is your glory alone that can change us into your image. God, we thank you that it is your glory alone that can cause us to do anything good, to be anything good, to appear good at all. God, it's only by your grace and your glory. God, we thank you for that beautiful message and testimony of Joyce and just heartbreaking. But but God, I think that there's so many in this world, in this room, And in our lives, that regardless of past, regardless of whether or not someone told them that they looked ugly or weren't beautiful, God, there's a world of us that feel less than for whatever reason it is. And yet, God, you are enough. You're enough. Your beauty is enough. Your glory is enough. Your calling is enough. And I pray that each one of us would feel that in this room today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now you can sit down. (laughs) Just kidding. Stand up. Just kidding. Have you ever been to a chiropractor? Okay. I hate it. I'm not a chiropractor person. I know some people, it's like your thing. Oh, there is like a mass exodus of bathroom right now. (laughs) We love you. Go forth. We'll see you in a little bit. When, I guess it was about five years ago now, for some reason, my arm went numb. When it was, I guess like 10 or 11 years ago, I was on a hammock that I put together And, you know, I just kind of get things done to get things done. I don't worry about, like, the details. I see a giant heavy mirror, and I think, oh, this little nail will work. Like, I'm just that kind of person. So I bought my husband a hammock, and, and I put it together, and it was the kind that was on the bars and... And so I put the little, like, bolt through, and I, I didn't know where, like, the little twisty thing for the back was, but it seemed super sturdy, and so it was okay. And so I just put the bolt through, and I had my newborn and my two-year-old and my four-year-old, and we were all in the hammock together, and it broke. Of course it did, because there was no thing, screwy thing, to hold the bolt back. I don't know what these things are called, obviously, because I don't mess around with them. And so... We fell, and I was protecting my babies, and so I hit my neck on the pole because I wanted to keep them safe, and ever since then, I've had neck problems. And about five years ago, for some reason, my arm went numb. I think it was my right arm, and it was numb, and I don't go to the doctor very often because usually by the time I get there, they don't know what's going on, and I get better by myself anyway, so I don't go. My husband, he's the one who goes to the doctor. He's had stage four cancer. He's had eye problems. He has diabetes. Like, he goes to the doctor, and I just don't. And so so my whole arm was numb, and I thought, oh, I'm sure that'll go away. And, like, the next week, I was sure it would go away again. And then the week after that, I was thinking, I'm sure it's just about to go away. Well, after nine weeks, it wasn't going away. 
And so I put this story into a Bible study talking about how my arm's numb and we're the body of Christ and you know every arm is important and somebody said, you have to go to my chiropractor. And I said, I don't, I don't do that because they crack and even when my kids crack their knuckles, I like hate that sound and I couldn't imagine it like all through my body. And so I finally, though, because it was numb for, I think, a few more weeks after that, I finally went to the chiropractor that she had recommended, and I was terrified. And I said, um, has anyone ever died on your table before? <laughs> because it just seems so scary. And so he did it, and he cracked me, and, and it was great. And I was thinking, okay, I made it through. And then he said, okay, now turn over. I'm going to do the other side. Oh, no, no. Like, we don't do the other side. I can't even imagine. And I know some of you love it. But I was thinking about that story as I was thinking and praying over this Bible study. Because it can be a painful procedure to be aligned right. It can be a painful procedure to be set right. But we know that how our body is set, how our body is aligned, determines how well you walk. It determines how you sit. It determines how you stand. It determines how much you can do. It determines whether or not you can use your arm. It determines whether or not you can look all around. When my neck is bothering me, I kind of have to look like this and... Being aligned right, being set right, is important. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on things below. That word set there is a verb that you're in charge of. Do you know that you don't have to think about what you think about? Do you know that your feelings don't have to dictate you how your day is going to go? Do you know that the, that the thoughts that pop into your head, you don't have to keep thinking them? Do you know that you're in charge of where your mind is set? Do you know that you're in charge of what you think about? Do you know that you're in charge of how you feel? What we think about is our choice. Who, re, who we reflect is our choice. We don't have to think the thoughts that come into our minds. And this is what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, it used to be this way, but now it's this way. I used to think this, but now I think this. There was a change. There was a pivot. There was a new mind. There was a new me. I love the word behold. Behold, you think about that word, it's such a strong word that defines what our minds are set upon, what our focus is, what we reflect. The word behold means to gaze at mentally, to perceive, to look, to direct the eyes to an object, to see, to view, to face, to look out, regard, watch, consider, to see intensely, to observe fully, to see mentally or prophetically, to look with attention and earnestness. 
to survey with accuracy, spiritual contemplation, to look at purposefully, to perceive. Do you get the point of it? It's saying you're choosing what you look at. There's still a giant long list of definitions, but I think you get it. You choose what you reflect. You don't have to reflect what you're given. You choose what you reflect. I think one of the scariest moments at Disneyland is when you're on the Snow White ride, right? The Snow White ride is the scariest ride of all. And you're on the Snow White ride, and you're going down, and you see the queen in the mirror, and all of a sudden, just as your little cart goes by, she looks and... It's that ugly, old, terrifying lady. It's super scary, but she looks so beautiful in the mirror. And some of us, we know that there's beauty of God within. Some of us, we know that we're saved, we're redeemed, we're restored, we're forgiven. And yet some of us, because we choose to dwell in our past, because we choose to dwell in the words of man, because we choose to dwell in our old life, because we choose to dwell where we've been before, because we don't remember that our life has been crucified with Christ, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Sometimes, sometimes we can turn on a person and look a little bit like that raggedy old lady in that snow white ride. My daughter, my 13-year-old, she came downstairs the other day, and it was Wednesday, and we were getting ready for church, and my grandma lives with us, and oh, my cute little grandma. She, um, she loves Jesus, I think. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but she kind of just says what she feels, and you know, if you're like an Enneagram person, she's a number eight who's maybe not so filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and so, you know, you're just living with this adorable little 86-year-old angry sometimes lady. (laughs) She's super cute. And so my 13-year-old, she's adorable. And she comes bounding down the stairs and she just curled her hair for church and she was all ready. And my grandma's in the kitchen with me and she looks at my youngest Aaliyah and she just says, oh, are you okay? You look really raggedy today. (laughs) And Aaliyah says, what? And she says, well, I mean, I guess it's not all of you. It's just your hair. It's like, blah. (laughs) You know, and in moments like that, we get to choose what we reflect. Will it be our old person who comes out or will it be Christ crucified within me? 1 John 3, 1 tells us to behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us. When we are setting our mind, when we're choosing what we think about, when we're choosing to behold, when we choose what we reflect, do we behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon you? Isaiah 40, verse 9 says, behold your God. Girls, do we look at, do we dwell on mentally, physically, with our eyes, with our souls, with our hearts? Do we choose to behold our God? 
Do we choose to behold his love? Do we choose to behold his presence? He's our God. Do we choose how to behold how he lived, what he does, how he loves us? We see so many things, don't we? But unless we're seeing with our attention, we will miss what God is doing. What is our attention on? There's only two categories given in that verse of Colossians. When we take our mind, I want you to picture yourself holding your cute little brains, holding your cute little heads. I know it's kind of freaky, but don't like think about it too much. But just picture yourself holding your heads, holding your mind, holding your thoughts, holding your gaze. Where do you set it? On things above or on things below? There's only two options. You're either choosing to set your mind, to set your attention, to set your thoughts, to set your affection on things above or on things below. There's no gray area. We're either choosing to live as though it's no longer me, it's Christ within me, things above, or it's still the old me and things below. A good way to check what we are reflecting is to ask, will I be concerned about this in heaven? Does this matter for eternity? Is this my old desire? Is this an earthly desire? Or does this count for the kingdom of heaven? Has our old life passed away? Because we could get really used to that old life, right? I told you last night that my oldest is graduating and she's coming here and so I know that's not so far away and my husband used to teach here and he hasn't been teaching because of his cancer but he's going to come back and he's going to teach while she's here and so I know I'll at least see her once a week but it's still really sad and I can't even imagine and and so we're walking through that balance because Justin's was just at her school last week and so we had to go order her cap and her gown and we're looking at the catalog. I mean you can buy a world of 2020 paraphernalia. You can get anything that you want that says 2020. We're talking Sherpa sweatshirts, which she bought, and I'm thinking we live in the desert, but that's okay. Somewhere, I'm sure she'll wear a Sherpa sweatshirt. She was wearing it yesterday when I left, and she was kind of sweaty, but you know. She bought 2020 shorts, and there was 2020 tassels, and there were 2020 bumper stickers, everything. You know, and it's walking that balance of knowing that she wants all of this stuff and wanting to be excited with her because she's graduating, but also knowing that the day after she graduates, she's really not going to care that she graduated in 2020. Like, high school's behind, right? I mean, you're starting to think about college. You're starting to get ready. Do you show up all the time like I have I have no idea where my I graduated in 1995 and went to grad night at Disneyland sure is I've got no idea where that is because high school is past and the new things have come and my daughter texted me late last night and she's devastated because her best friends can't come to her graduation their dad's a Christian musician and they'll be on the road and there's nothing that she can do about it and so she was so sad and I was trying to be just so sweet and so sympathetic but also knowing you're literally not going to really care about this in a couple of weeks it's passing away And girls, I think that God would look at us like that in this life. 
we get so concerned with things. We get so bogged down with things. We get so confused and overwhelmed with things that are passing away. We're so focused on the temporary, but we need to be focused on the eternal. The question should be, is it above or is it below? Is it new me or is it old me? Is it Christ or is it my flesh? Would Jesus think about this? Would Jesus dwell on this? Would Jesus do this? Would Jesus go there? Would Jesus say that? Because if the answer is yes, then it's Christ in you. But if it's would Jesus say this no? Would Jesus go here no? Would Jesus do this no? then your old flesh is not so crucified and you're reflecting the crazy lady on Snow White. He says, set your mind on things above where Christ is because it's no longer you who live. Behold your God. Set your mind. You don't have to think about what you're thinking about. You choose what you're thinking about. Behold your God. Those of you with kids in your life, you'll understand this word behold as grab their sticky chubby toddler faces between your hands and saying look at me look at me my adorable son poor kid he's like right smack dab in the middle of two really good good girls and he's a good boy he's just got a lot of boy in him if that makes sense and he's just so exciting and and he's so fun and he's so all over the place and even when he was little he had this wild blonde curly hair and I would grab his cute old chubby cheeks and I would say look at mommy and I would be holding his face and his eyes would be like, he was so, so afraid. He's got literal FOMO. Like, he's so afraid he's not going to look at something, not going to do something, not going to climb at something. And I think that God would just grab our faces sometimes and say, precious girl, slow down. Precious girl, think of me. Precious girl, put your eyes on me. We set our minds. We choose our thoughts. How are we choosing to look at this life? Is it Christ in me, the hope of glory? Is it my old flesh, my old self, my old life is done and it's past and I've made it through the veil and it's Christ in me, Christ crucified within me. I read this and thought it was beautiful. It says to behold for the Christian is to look to God, to Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit that we see. Observe and comprehend his will and his ways through his word, the Bible. It means we have a choice, a choice to behold or not to behold. It represents the responsibility that is our part in the Christian walk. We behold the ways of God, then behold our own lives. As a result of that beholding, we see to align ourselves more and more with that which we are called to behold. Behold is a responsible word. It's a call to keep our eyes open, to make sure we're seeing and hearing clearly and accurately so we can make those decisions that will glorify God. Behold is a prophetic word. It beautifully describes someone who is focused on pleasing their master. 
I loved that description, don't you? It's our responsibility. Can we make our image that of God's glory? No. God does that. Can we forgive ourselves? No. Can we change ourselves? No. Can we make ourselves pure and clean and righteous? No. But is it our responsibility to keep that mirror clean? That mirror of being in God's word, that mirror of choosing to reflect his glory, that mirror of choosing to dwell our minds, our thoughts, our words, our eyes on who God is. Yes. In every situation, we have a choice. Will it be the old life, the crucified life? Which one will it be? Behold my life or beholding God's life? Do my old fleshly desires win or do God's desires for me win? Will we trust in him? Will we trust that he's good and that, yes, this doesn't seem good or that doesn't seem good, but God, you are good and you only give good things and you will take this and you will work it together for good? Will we trust in his character beyond what we can see? Will we choose in those times where we're anxious, where we're fretful, where we're worried, where we're nervous, will we choose to turn our attention toward God and his ways and his faithfulness? Will we choose to be hidden in Christ? Will we choose to put to death those things that war against our crucified life? Do we know we're in a battle right now? I remember one day, I think my kids were maybe eight, six, and four, and my son was six, and and I said, I want to teach you guys a game. I want to teach you how to play war. Now, I meant the card game, you know, where somebody puts a card down, and somebody puts a card down, and... He didn't know that. He said, I'll be right back. And he had this giant curly hair, and he couldn't see his W's and his L's. And I was really worried about it because, you know, he wanted to be a pastor, and I was thinking he's going to say, like, open up to the book of Womans. But it's all gone now. It's all gone. And he didn't have any teeth. And so he went into his room, and he got all this stuff, and he comes out, and he's got a blanket tied around his, his and he would never wear anything but undies. He would so kill me if he knew any of these stories. Um, and he had a blanket tied around him, and he's just naked except for his undies, and he's got a sword, and he's got a shield, and he's ready, and he said, I'm ready for war. <laughs> And I had, like, hot chocolate and cards at the table because I was ready for war also with hot chocolate. And some of us are ready for war. We know that this life is a battle, so get out the hot chocolate and let's sit down and play. No, girls, you're in a battle. You're in a battle. You need your cape on. You need your sword of the word. You need the shield of faith. You are in a battle. And that battle begins with what you choose to think. That battle begins when we choose to say, no, that is things below. I'm setting my mind on things above. That battle begins, that battle is won when we choose to say, no, that's my old life. I'm crucified with Christ. 
James talks about the ones who hear the word but don't do it are like the ones who look at their face in a mirror and don't remember what they look like. Now, I taught this at my church three weeks ago, and I taught it with lipstick all over my face because there's just no better way to tell the girls that you looked in a mirror and forgot what you look like and so went on with your day than having bright red orange lipstick all over your face. That's the way I roll. I don't know what your Bible study looks like. I'm sure it's all put together like Connie is. And ours is a little bit like romper room. I don't know. There's constantly something going on in there. But girls, some of us are like that. We read God's word in the morning and we say, oh, God, change me. Yesterday morning, I read the proverb that says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. And I said, Jesus, how do you teach four Bible studies and not use a multitude of words? Please don't let there be sin in my words. We want to be so different. And yet often, if you're like me, you close that Bible and you go on with your day And you forget the things that God wanted to change within us. Are we choosing to remember? Are we choosing to look at the mirror of God's word and let him adjust? Let him fix? Let him align what he wants us to reflect? The crucified reflection is a life that remembers It's a life that remembers what God is showing us. It's a life that remembers what God is teaching us. It's a life that remembers what God desires to change within us. It's a life that remembers the great things that God has done for us. In Psalm 106.7, It says, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but they rebelled by the sea. They didn't remember the Israelites. If you're reading Exodus, if you're reading Numbers, if you're reading Deuteronomy, there is a theme. They did not remember And we look at them and we think, oh, come on, just get it. I think that if I look at my life, I think there's a theme that I do not remember. I think there's a theme that I forget. And that psalm goes on to say that they're not remembering led to complaining and lust and envy and the earth opening up and swallowed those who come against leadership. And it led to idolatry and worship of golden calves. They forgot their God who had done great things to save them. And because of that, because of their forgetfulness, because of the, they didn't have intentional remembering, they started sacrificing their kids to demons. They started serving idols. They started playing the harlot. They started being given into the hand of the Gentiles. And you can look at all of their drastic sin that they got to, and God in Psalm 107 traces it back to the, the, to the because that they didn't remember. They didn't remember. They didn't set their mind. They didn't choose to remember. 
They forgot who they were. They forgot who they were to be reflecting. They forgot that their lives belonged to God. They forgot that he was Lord over all. There's no gray ground. We're either remembering or we're forgetting. It's either above or it's below. It's either the crucified life with Christ or it's the old me. And their not remembering caused them to become bit by snake. Do you remember that part in Numbers chapter 2? Or Numbers 21, it says, Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Why did Moses have to do that? Because God sent snakes. He was so done with complaining. And I kind of get that. Do you have a complainer in your life? Oh my goodness, the complainers in life. It's awful. So we have this once a month Bible study in um, our church, and it's called Garden Moms. And we play a game when we open up, and usually the game has to do with the study. And so we were having a conversation about it yesterday or the day before, and and we're teaching on legendary moms and, and biblical moms. And so I was getting the list, and my mom, who's an adorable legendary mom, is totally amazing. And she's teaching it on Monday because I'll be flying to Israel. And so she's teaching, and I said, Mom, what mom of the Bible do you want to teach on? What legendary mom? And she goes, well... I keep praying, and God keeps kind of taking my heart back to the two prostitutes who came before Solomon with a baby. <laughs> really? That's, that's, those are the moms that you want to teach on, are the, the prostitutes? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I text the game girl. Hey. So I know you usually like to do a game that has to do with the Bible study. Um, my mom's going with two prostitutes and a king. So I don't know if you want to buy baby dolls and give one to each table and whoever cuts that in half the most accurately like wins. I don't I don't know what would be a good game about that. And so we're talking about it and we also have this little like prayer dot where we put a little dot on our phone each month and that's what we're supposed to be praying for. And so I talked to the girl who's doing that and she said, God keeps putting complaining on my heart. So I'm getting ready for this study yesterday and thinking about the snakes that God sent to to bite the complainers and they still haven't found a game because it's two prostitutes and a baby. And so I said, well, maybe you could give them little like gummy snakes and whatever they complain about, whoever has the most snakes dies. (laughs) Would we not be complainers? Do you know that every complaint that we give is an attack on the goodness of God? Oh, we don't see it like that. Because we're not really thinking about God in that moment, right? We just complain. We don't like the weather. We don't like this. I'm tired of this or that or the kids or husband or my job. And we don't really think about it as an attack on God. But but our God, who says that he only gives good gifts. Our God, who says that he works all things together for good. Our God, who laid aside all that he was so that we could live in him. When we choose not to remember how good he is, when we choose to complain, we are attacking his character. We're attacking his character. 
They forgot that all that God had done on their behalf in the wilderness. He goes on to say in Psalm 107, Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Girls, those of us who are wise in this room will choose to observe what God has done. And because of that, we'll understand the loving kindness of the Lord. See, what we choose to look at chooses what we reflect. And what we choose to reflect chooses what we understand. It all begins in our thoughts. Wisdom and peace is found in remembrance and beholding and setting our minds on the good things that God has done. Girls, our lives, our salvation, were bought by the precious blood of Jesus. The choice to live and reflect a crucified life for Jesus comes from choosing to live and reflect in the light of all that Jesus has done for us. Because do we remember, do we remember that he didn't have to save us? He chose to. He didn't have to save us. He could have just said, whoever gets it right, you get to go to heaven. That's done. He didn't have to save us. And even in his salvation, he doesn't have to commune with us. He would have been completely justified and righteous and beautiful and gracious to save us and then to leave us and let us meander through our lives. And then as soon as we die, we get to come to heaven. And yet he chooses to pour his presence out upon us. He chooses to love us. He chooses to be kind to us. He wants to talk to us. He literally desires to be with us. And that astounds me because I don't know about you, but I deserve the wilderness and the desert and the snakes. And instead, he loves me. And in that perspective, it suddenly becomes not about what I gave up to choose the crucified life of Christ. It becomes more about everything that God was willing to take away from me so that he could give me his crucified life. It becomes no longer about what I want, but about who he is. It becomes no longer about what I gave up, but all that I've gained. And suddenly we have the perspective of Pascal when he said, instead of complaining that God had hidden himself, you will give him thanks for having revealed so much of himself. Because he just doesn't have to. He doesn't have to reveal himself. Do you know that by living the crucified life that you give up nothing and gain absolutely everything? You gain a God who doesn't have to want our lives, and yet he does. What does he owe us? Absolutely nothing. And yet he only wants our lives, he only wants our minds, our hearts, our focus to be on him so that we can find the fullness of joy that is found in his presence, so that we can find the blessings that are at his right hand and they can be poured out abundantly onto our lives. 
girls, think about what God has done. Do you remember? Do you choose to remember? The psalmist goes on to declare in Psalm 107, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Do we give thanks? Do we remember? Have we set our mind on God and the great things that he has done? And yes, sometimes the crucified life, it contains trials. It contains difficulties. It contains hard times. But wisdom chooses to remember and reflect on the fact that our shoes didn't wear out. That I always had food. That God gave me manna. That my feet didn't swell. That my cattle didn't decrease. The wise mind chooses to reflect on those great things that God has done. So behold your God and find the good. Reflect on his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his love, because this crucified life is not all about what we've given up. It's about what we've gained. This crucified life must keep our mind on who God is and why he traded lives with us in the first place. It's got to keep our minds on on who we were without him. In 2 Timothy, we're told that godliness with contentment is great gain. And in that verse, the definition of godliness means to be in awe of God. So this contentment that comes from godliness actually comes from the extent that we are in awe of God is the contentment that we'll find. Trusting in, looking to who he is, who he says he is, being in awe of him, having a big picture of him, to the extent that I give all of me to Jesus, who deserves so much more than my measly life, I will receive contentment. Are you discontent today? Is there anyone in this room who feels discontentment? Maybe you feel discontent with your appearance. Maybe you feel discontent with your weight. Maybe you feel discontent with your outfit. Maybe you feel discontent with your car, with your house, with your family, with your job. Do you feel discontent in here today? God would say to you, you're discontent because you're not looking at me. You're discontent because you're looking in the actual practical mirror of the you that's fleshly, that's old, that you see. You're discontent because you're looking at everybody else's everythings. You're discontent because you're, you're scrolling through, seeing what everybody else is eating, where everybody else is going, what everybody else is doing. <laughs> Girls, are we looking at God? Are we reflecting on who he's been? Are we reflecting on who he is? Are we reflecting on how great he is? Because his is a reflection worth emanating. Like it's been said, his past faithfulness demands my present trust. When you reflect through your life, I think we'll all find that he has not failed us in a single moment.
I think at the end of our days of our crucified life that we could stand like Joshua did in Joshua chapter 21 and say, There failed not any of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Girls, when you and I reflect through our lives and when you and I stand at the end of our days, we will be able to say the same, that there failed not one good thing that God told us that he would do. Would we set our minds on him? Would we trade lives with him? Would we reflect his goodness? Would we praise him and trust? Would we receive his perfect peace? Would we praise him because not one word has failed and not one word will fail? When we choose to set our mind on the mightiness, on the vastness of God, when we choose the crucified life, then we've won the battle because that is the battle. All the powers of hell can't win against a crucified life. You know, my little six-year-old son, who was wetty for woe, he's now a giant football playing, baseball playing, weight training, taking, exercising, constantly 15-year-old. And, you know, I used to play this little game with them in bed, and it was from a little cartoon that we saw, and it was this little tickle song that we would do, and I tickle their little armpits and tickle their little feeties. And now when I start to try to do it to him, and I tickle his armpits, and he grabs my wrist, and he says, Mom, no. (laughs) And you know what? There is not one solid way that I can move my arm to get out of his giant grasp. There's just nothing. There's nothing I can do to battle against it. And girls, when you choose to set your mind on Christ, when you choose to live out the crucified life rather than your own flesh, your own lust, your own desires, when you choose to trade your life for his There is not a single victory that the enemy can have against you. It gives you giant arms without having giant arms. It's great. I mean, you want to talk about unstoppable, undefeatable, determined to take every thought captive and set it on the things above. Determined to let Jesus live fully through you. You read Hebrews chapter 11, those people were unstoppable, not because they were great and perfect, but because God was big to them. Is God big to you? Does your life fully belong to him? If it does, then you don't need to worry. I mean, if it's his life, what do you have to worry about? If it's his choice, if it's his decisions, if it's his ways, you don't have to worry about anything. You get to go back to kid life. I mean, was kid life not the greatest thing in the world? A lot of things that I do, like coming to teach at retreats or going to doctor's offices or going to the dentist, I think, I don't think I'm old enough to do this by myself. I mean, kid life was great. You just went where they went and you ate what they gave you. Girls, that's the life you live with Jesus. You don't have to worry about that. God takes care of the grass. He takes care of the birds. You're surely not going to starve. You're surely not going to be naked. God will take care of you. 
Job 9.19 says, If it's a matter of strength, indeed he is strong. Girls, our God is a strong God. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be terrified. That's all old life stuff. You've got a new life. You've got the crucified life. You've got the life that belongs to Jesus, that no longer I live, but he now lives in me. There's no situation, trial, problem, or fear that God does not offer his strength in. Would we choose to live our lives for him? And I just kind of want to close with a question of how much of you does he have? Because you think about the Israelites as they were marching along with Joshua which is supposed to be a picture of the old life and the new life. And, and it wasn't a question of whether or not the younger generation of Israelites were going to make it in. They were. They were going to make it in because God had said that they were going to make it in. It's not a question in here, if you know Jesus, it's not a question of whether or not you're going to make it to heaven. That's not a question. If he's your savior, you're making it to heaven. That's it. It's done. But it was a question for the Israelites, and it's a question for us of how much territory will we allow God to conquer in us? How much will he get? How much does he have? Because you look at the Israelites in the land, the entire land was open to them. And yes, they had to woe in order to get it. They had to battle. They had to put on their little capes. They had to go fight. But the entire land was open to them. They could have had it all. You know why? Because they were strong and they were warriors? No. Because they had a God who promised to fight on their behalf. Girls, you can live the crucified life not because you're strong, not because you're a warrior, not because you're really good at battle, but because you have a God who promises to fight on your behalf. God promised he would help. But you read through Joshua, you read through Deuteronomy, and we see that so often they just chose apathy because it was just a little more comfy. They chose the old ways. They chose the old life. They chose to live the carnal life. They said things like, oh, they're too strong. They have iron chariots. They this, they that. They're really giant. They're really big. All nonsense and excuses. They had a warrior who was willing to fight for them. They could have had as much land as they wanted. They could have conquered as much territory as they desired because God was on their side, and he's the victorious one. Girls, as you sit in here today, your reflection, your image, well, God says that you're more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. That's exciting. I don't know what that means, but that means like that you can conquer in more than that. <laughs> Our lives belong to Jesus. He's given us all we need for life and godliness. All we need. Now, I was thinking about the tribes in that conquering of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, and they wanted to live on the outskirts. Remember that? could say in today's terms that they wanted the heavenly, heavenly destination without the crucified life on earth. They wanted the ticket to heaven without the reflection of Jesus upon their lives. 
And because of that, they were the first to be pulled into idolatry. They were the first to be attacked. Why? Because they didn't fully enter in. They didn't fully trade the old land for the new. Essentially, they wanted the new future with the old habits. And some of us in this room today, that's you. You want the future, but you want to keep the old habits. You want the crucified life of Jesus to give you the salvation, but you don't necessarily want to live that. And for any struggle of sin that we have, it's because there's some kind of kickback from it still. We still think that we get something out of it because we don't see how God sees. Girls, would we see that reflection, that which he sees? And you know what? It's so beautiful because all we have to do is say, God, this is yucky. I know that this is earthly. I know that this is old life. But I don't think that I see it the way that you see it. Could you open my eyes? Could you give me that image? Could you show me how you see it? And he will. When we choose to struggle in areas when we choose to remember that Christ was crucified, when we choose to remember, choose to set our mind on things above, not on things below, when we choose to remember that our old life has been done away with, that we've entered through the veil, that we have God's crucified life, then there is nothing that can stop us. A.W. Tozer said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan to do only the things that we can do by ourselves. God, we thank you that we serve a God of the impossible, that with men all things are impossible, but with you all things are possible. God, we thank you that, Lord, even if we don't know how to set our mind on things above, God, we thank you that you walk it through with us, that it's choosing to remember who you are, to remember what you've done. It's choosing to reflect on how good you have been, on how faithful you have been, and choosing to bear that reflection in the future, that you will continue to be faithful, that you will continue to be good. Because, God, we've truly traded nothing. And yet we've gained all that you are, all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you for your beauty upon us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.